Hello and welcome to another edition of the Backstreet Boys. I'm here just with Claire this week. Just the two of us. The other two are jet-setting around the globe. That's one word for it. Skiving <laughs> is what I say. So you're just with me and Claire um, this week. But we're going to be hearing from everybody. They've phoned in, as have um, uh, a few other people. We've got some couple of interviews this week. We're going to be talking about the season in general, the end of the Diamond League. Some people have written in questions. Yeah, Lots a, of stuff going on. A bit of a patchwork quilt of a podcast episode. But I think that's good. It means we're going to be covering all sorts of topics and yeah, I'm looking forward to getting started. Should we crack on? Let's crack on. So we asked everybody on Twitter to get in touch with some questions of theirs. And it sort of raised an issue that I think we should begin with, which is the fact that the Diamond League season has come to its grand finale last week. What did you think? I mean, both finales in Zurich and Brussels, which is having two is slightly problematic. I thought they were great athletics meetings. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Standard. And everyone turned up, which I loved. Almost every high-profile athlete was there, mm. which is fantastic because we've had so much talk this season about fields, particularly in national championships, being really depleted, lots of no-shows. Uh, but I think the depth and breadth of every event was really top-notch. Yeah. So what was your favourite moment of, not just the finals, but of the whole, whole Diamond League? Oh, OK, that's, that's really tough. <laughs> because firstly, and we will turn to this later, I haven't been able to watch all of the That's Diamond Leagues yeah. because they have been as hard to find as Matt Wood but <laughs> <laughs> it's true where has he been but also there have been so many but I'm going to say can I have two and I will do them briefly I promise okay firstly the strength and depth of women's distance and middle distance yeah. running which I think has been exemplified by two athletes Susan Crumans of the Netherlands oh. and Eilish McColgan both of whom have run personal bests in 15, 3, 5 and 10 yeah. This season, Athletics Weekly did a tweet saying, Eilish, you should rename, rename yourself to have PB after your name. Because it's true, every time that girl steps on a track, she produces a personal best. And I think that is just amazing. And it shows how you can use, as an athlete, you can employ the Diamond League circuit to just race yourself into fitness and race yourself into lifetime best form. I mean, absolutely, Eilish has been a highlight for me this year. Oh, yes. um, but the point you just made then about using the Diamond League, it's if you can get in races, and I think that's one of the issues mm. with the Diamond League, it's a little bit inconsistent about who gets to race, but that's a whole other discussion we'll have a little bit later on. For me, and this was difficult because obviously I've kind of forgotten some of the highlights from the beginning of the year. Long because season. it was a long time, it starts in May, so it was mm. a few, good few months ago. So the first thing that came to mind for me was something that just happened last week, which is <laughs> a little bit of a cop out. Yes, but so I absolutely loved in Zurich, Shawnee Miller Weibo. She came off of the World Championships where she came on with one bronze after, I mean, she should have won the 400 metres. And she came into Zurich in the 200 metres, which is her second event. And you're thinking, well, she came third at the World Championships. She might be like, destroyed the field. It was an astonishing run. 21-8. At this late in the season, after the disappointments of um, the World Championships, that woman is a very, very, very special athlete. She really reminds me of like Marie-Jose Perec, Grace Jackson, some of my favourite athletes from the past. She's so tall. She always chooses to run on the outside lanes when she can, which is a very interesting choice. And she is definitely someone we've got to watch out, not just in the 400 metres, but she's a sprinter who, if she can run 21.8 that late in the season, um, then I'm really excited. She's, she's going to be running very, very, very fast in the next few years. Great minds think alike because that was my second. Oh, was point. it? Yes, that's <laughs> right. That last 50 metres was just of another calibre to anything mm. that anyone else in that field had produced. And yeah, a national record in at the very end of August and after, as you said, such a crushing world champs. And I kind of, I've got a pad in front of me with some thoughts I had on the train on the way in. I've scribbled down the word redemption. Yeah. Because Elaine Thompson, 
won the Diamond League title. Sean Miller produced that great run. And in the 400 as well, being you know the only athlete to consistently manage to beat, apart from at the World Champs, NASA this year, who's another huge talent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To be watching out for. Have you seen her Facebook page? No. It's... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's difficult to find because it's under her... It's under a different name. Very interesting. Quite saucy. Ooh, oh my gosh. I will have to check it out. I love a good athlete social media troll. Um, and then my final kind of redeemed athlete was um, Noah Lyles, the 200 metre mm. runner. So he won the title. He's the youngest ever Diamond League winner. So he's only 20. Yeah. He's won the Diamond League title. Didn't make the Worlds because of injury. So yeah, he's, you know, had it's his first pro season. And he's broken the 20-second barrier. He's won the Diamond League. He didn't make the World Champs, no. But what a great announcement to the world of athletics. That, and you know, he looks like he's got a personality as well. Because yes. there's so many American sprinters, they all just blur into one for me. Because yeah. they come around, they don't make the team, or they run fast, or they do make the team, and they go out. Like, I can't keep up with who they are. Mm. But he's someone who's stuck in my mind since the World, world Juniors, which he won a couple of seasons ago. And I think ago. to be able to stand out when every single athlete is wearing those lurid Nike strips is really <laughs> something. So good work, Noah Lyle. That's another thing. We could, That's a whole podcast in itself yes athletics <laughs> outfits 100% we will have um, to touch on that so that's our two favourites now we did ask Matt and Bayo to let us know a little bit about their thoughts about the Diamond League guess what Bayo's done a rant Hi, Bayo here. Sorry I can't be here this week, but I'm on my way to Toronto. I'm at the airport now. It's 5am. I'm sat in a corner of Weatherspoons, filled up with kids who seem to be on the way to Ibiza, I'm guessing. And I'm sat in the corner with people looking at me. But because I hate flying so much, um, I'm in a worse mood than usual. So I'm just going to give you a bit of a rant about the Diamond League. The Diamond League, um, or as I think of it, that kind of random selection of unconnected athletics meetings that take place over various points of the season with no particular purpose, and it's all entirely incoherent. Um, I don't know what the rules are. I don't know how people score points. I don't know how they're allocated. Um, we're not kept in form over the course of the season. Maybe we have to go to the website, but come on, let's talk about the website. If I have to go on that website one more time and that music will not turn off, I'm going to smash my computer. Um, who gets to compete and why? Um, when's it on? It seems to be just on randomly. You know, it won't be on for three weeks, and there'll be two in one week. It'll be on a Wednesday. It'll be on a Saturday afternoon. Um, quite a few times this season, I've just missed them. Um, <laughs> which is ridiculous considering how much athletics I watch and how long I've been watching it for I don't know when a Diamond League is on you know or I'll come in halfway through I'll get home from work and it's already started um, usually I think I'm correct in saying that after the, the major champs it at least goes on for a few weeks after that but this one just felt like very rushed very abrupt um, now there's good things you know it, it's good that each individual winner now, um, or each individual event has a winner, which means that people can earn money across the season, irrespective of what the event is. You know, looking at some of the money this year, it's really good to see Gong in the shop put earning more money than Daphne Skippers. You know, that's good. But I don't understand how it works. Please excuse the announcement. <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand it. It's a mess. Um, the very least is the people, the broadcasters, could um, keep us up to date, maybe, you know, so we do understand the scoring, understand who's running. Um, now, I don't know what the solutions are. I'm sure that you in the um, studio will, will have some. I'm sure people out there on, on Twitter and that will have some. Um, but I think it's really important that, you know, people are made to compete or encouraged to compete. I think that the final needs to be a really big event, maybe over one weekend, you know. Now it's two separate meetings. Maybe you do one meeting over a weekend. Um, but, you know, it just isn't working. So we've got to do something about it. Um, I remember back in the day at the Golden League when 
You won gold bars at the end of the season, the best athlete of the season, irrespective of the event, won gold bars. It felt like a, a thing. You know, Merlin Otti would be the best athlete of the year and should be awarded the gold bars. Because you have each individual athlete winning, there's no one winner. And I think the individual athletes winning is good, but there needs to be something so everyone is competing for a goal at the end. So over to the studio. I'm off. Off to Toronto. See you in a few weeks. Thanks a lot. I'll see if I can speak to Ben Johnson whilst I'm there. That was the most multifaceted <laughs> and comprehensive rant of all time. <laughs> My God, he always has so much to say, but I, I think I agree with a lot of it. Well, I think it's true. My problem with the Diamond League is not the individual meetings, which can be brilliant. I mean, we've, we've seen some brilliant ones. But the whole Diamond League, it's just incoherent. It doesn't make any sense. If you look at the um, Diamond, not Diamond League, if you look at the Motors Racing Grand Prix, you have a rehearsal on the Saturday, you have the race on a Sunday. Everyone knows what it is. Whatever place in the world, you know what it's going to be on. Our one, we don't know when it's on. So it Never does... know. But did you... And also at the final, like, I, mean, I know you made the point earlier that all the big names were there, but did you see the men's 100 metres? Yes. Adam Jamili, I mean, don't get me wrong, we love to see Adam race, but how did he qualify for for the Diamond League final? That's Asif a really Apau. good point. I thought Asif Apau had, had retired. So he pops up, <laughs> and he, Asif was one... one run one Diamond League all year Adam got DQ'd in one and came fifth in one so how does that qualify for you for the final someone made the point that the sprinters don't race a lot so uh, and a few of them dropped out but even so that cannot be the showcase of the end of season of the best people of, of the year it didn't make any sense also that's not true that the sprinters don't race a lot Daphne Schippers and Elaine Thompson are at every single meet the men <laughs> ah, right yes that's but true speaking of Daphne Shippers and Elaine Thompson um, there was a really interesting um, article that came out last week about the highest earners from the Diamond League. Well, go on. So the highest earner of the whole of the Diamond League, and she... <gasps> yes! <laughs> I'm so pleased. Earned $134,000. <gasps> I mean, that sounds like a nice lot of money, right? Cracking earning. But that's Elaine Thompson. Who turns up to every meet. Turns up at every meet. She competed in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight... Well, I can't count. I think it's ten. I think that was ten meetings. Um, including winning the 100 metres at the final, which you get 50 grand for. So that was a significant amount of her earnings. Sean A. Miller is second. Um, she only competed in six, but she won two at the final. So that's 100 grand. Yeah. Um, Maria Lassiscani, um is third, £110,000. She's unbeaten this season. So and she competed seven times. Mm. So she's got the winnings from the final of um, 50,000 and another 60,000 from competing. Um, individ- winning in six individual ones so it really does rack up yes. the money the well money that you can doing. earn but I just wonder also on top of this some of these big names will be getting appearance fees as well yes so it's there's some money to, there is some money to be made I think one of the things um, that Bayo said also was if you come to the end of the season and you've uh, you've got 40 or 38 individual winners back in the day when it used to be the Golden League you used to get one winner. I remember Pamela Jalima winning a million pounds because oh. she not only won every race of the season, but she was the best ranked in the final. I remember Gabby Zabo, I think she won half a million or a million one year. That's a much better PR angle than having 36 different winners. I like the way you spread it across all events now because it gives everybody um, a, re- a everybody a chance to win money and maybe um, someone like in the shop board or something wouldn't beforehand Li, Li, Li Zhao Gong won 80,000 
dollars this year. Wonderful. Um, they used to pick and choose which events to use and, and have, and the more popular ones got more chance. So it is much fairer this way. But from a PR angle, to have one person winning a million dollars is a much better and selling point. Ideas of PR and athletics are going to be so central to our talks over the next few podcasts because I think we really do want to assess where athletics is and where yeah. it's going and in a world in which a single footballer mm. can be sold for 200 million pounds no one cares if an athlete has made 100 grand over yeah. a season because I think in the time it takes for Lionel Messi to lace his boots <laughs> that's the season's earnings for a really top and quality athlete the problem obviously athletics has there's so many different events and if mm. you look at the list it goes <gasps> down God, to number 607 that's Marie Lawrence Jungfleisch who's the German high jumper she won 500 dollars so that's the bottom end of, of um, the earnings that people can make. She just made $500. But I mean, that just won't have covered once. her flights, her no. physio, her manager, everything that that will have entailed. So, yeah, it's a bit like being on the tennis circuit. Until you yes. break into the world's top 100, you're barely earning a living. Yeah. There's some very well-known names, though, who were quite low down because they just didn't compete very often. So it's, it's a tough one. I haven't got the answers, but something needs to change a little bit because it's just, at the moment, it's just not made for purpose. Hi, my name is Kim Collins and you are listening to The Backstreet Boys. Certainly not. And something that I think some of our Twitter Q&A participants, and thank you very much for all of you who got involved. There were some really thought-provoking questions in the mix. One of the questions actually really did pick up on that by sort of calling out the Diamond League for, as you said, the sort of infrastructural problems with it as a competition, which I think are completely undeniable. Um, and that was Warriors, which is... <laughs> we'll retweet some of these. Um, Warriors, W-A-R-R-10-R-Z, track and field, uh, dropped us a tweet saying, how could SEB and the IAAF expect to increase the popularity of athletics when live coverage of non-Diamond League meets is so tough to locate and view. Discuss. Ooh, well, I mean, there's a long discussion there. And I'd, I'd include um, coverage of Diamond League meets, which we may get covered, but, like, we don't even know they're on. But you're absolutely right. There's meetings in Zagreb. Uh, there was a meeting in... What was it in Berlin? What was the uh, Easter Just last one? week, yeah. Were they on TV? Not that I was aware of. I found a radio stream of it, <laughs> and I caught up on it that way. And I'm so glad that I did, because Carlos Semenya set a world lead in the mm. 600 metres, world which is record. absolutely stonking. I think you have to call it a world lead. A world best. There we go. Well, that's, <laughs> neither of us were right. That's <laughs> But think, you've got these incredible performances, and you just don't know that they happen until you see them on Twitter from that kind of core group of athletics fans. And again, that's not helping to push athletics out to wider audiences. Yeah. It's all just so disparate. I feel there are kind of arbitrary events all over the world. And I know that we've discussed there being a global calendar during which athletes travel like tennis on a route around the world competing in clearly signposted and clearly available meets. But there's also this, like you said, there's competing interests. European athletics is nothing to do with the IWF. The IWF is a partnership hold or something with the Diamond League. They don't, they're not the same thing. Mm. So there's all these competing things. National trials are on the same week as other things are on. So it's, it does some, some, someone needs to sit down and sort out the calendar. But you're right about the TV. Or European athletics do a very good job of putting things on their website. Yes, really So good like streams. European under-23s, European juniors, very good streams. Mm. Nothing complicated, like no. a couple of cameras and um, one, sometimes just one person commentating. Um, IWF, I think, really needs to work on that. There's so many... They've done it on YouTube didn't they have done it on I'm sure oh, there's a YouTube channel of something I don't know but it's the, the, nowadays there's so many ways of um, getting information out there be it on social media be it on YouTube be it on a one camera on your own website we don't have to have the BBC or Eurosport there we just want mm -hmm. to see what's going on Exactly, and that's one of the things that's so good about athletics is not only is it universally appealing and very simple as a sport, but to cover it really doesn't need to be 
complicated. I do a lot of work for Vinco. Yeah. You know, we're going to have Matt Quine from Vinco on to talk to us about life on the Diamond League circuit in the future. And Vinco, we have two cameras. Yeah. And I think that what we put out, again, it's very rudimentary, but it's good quality. And if you want to know what's happening at the meet, it's all there. And it's really, it doesn't have to be a high budget and it can be fantastic. But I, I'll, I'll take rudimentary with one camera over trying to find some illegal web link <laughs> yeah, exactly. that keeps cutting in and out and then is in Polish. And that's, So I'll take that any time of the week. So it's, it's very simple things. I think obviously social media is such a new thing now. Well, not a new thing, but it's become more prevalent now. Some of these big organisations take a little time to catch on with what they need to do. There's lots of money thrown around on bizarre apps and stuff that no one uses. But the very simple stuff um, I think we should look into. I think one really good IAAF app which kind of ensconced the Diamond League the other meetings like the national championships would be really wonderful a really slick one because the one they had for the world champs was quite glitchy it was very glitchy but I thought as a structure it was good and I think you could within that you could have the fantasy Diamond League so that you could constantly be checking and updating your team because I got off to a flyer of a start but then because the meetings were on weird days I was not updating my team and the website is so disgusting and it looks like something I made in year 8 in an IT lesson (laughs) and that could really be updated and also speaking of Twitter why are there so many different Diamond League Twitter accounts? Yeah. Because there's the central one, but then there's also ones for the particularly large meets. But that's what we were talking about. Everyone's got disparate, mm. everyone's got competing aims. So, it, yeah, it's a, just a bit incoherent. It needs to be unified because the talent is there, the raw materials are all present, and there are all these wildly enthusiastic individuals working on it. Mm. So the product... In, it's a rough diamond. It's a super rough diamond, but we can make it something really lovely with, I think, a little more cohesion and a bit of kind of ruthless trimming down of the athletics calendar to form something that's really coherent. I'd be very happy if it didn't start in May and finish in September. I'd be very happy with eight very high-quality meets. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. I don't know how many there are at the moment, but it feels like there's too many to me. Bayo again. Uh, my favourite performance in the Diamond League this year was Carsten Volheim in um, Oslo. Um, kind of came out of nowhere. I just love that guy. He's just brilliant for the sport. Great personality. Um, and I love the way he runs. He just goes out and gives it a hundred percent. I was going to say 110, but that's really nap, isn't it? He gives it a hundred percent, you know, and he clings on. And I love that. That's just such a gutsy way to run. It obviously can blow up, but it didn't. It worked brilliantly there. It worked brilliantly in other Diamond Leagues, and it worked in the World Championship. The only thing I dislike about it is the minute he did that first race, I meant to go and put some money on him at the World, and I didn't. And if I had, of, I would have cleaned up. But, um, you know, never mind. He's fantastic. My favourite new athlete of the year. Fan of the pot, I'm sure she won't mind me saying so. But the wonderful smoky mozzarella, uh, of course, she's so fantastic. Exactly, our good Atletico friends dropped us a line. She said, inspired by Bolt versus Farah, Sean Crawford versus Zebra, Martin Rooney versus Guy Learmouth, what other cross discipline showdowns would you like to see? Uh, what's Martin Rooney versus Guy Learmouth? They're missed that. clashing, I believe, at the Great City Games oh. in the North Run over a nicely awkward middle distance. They normally do a 600 or a 500 yeah. at that event, a street one as well, which is amazing. Worked on the coverage of it last year and the atmosphere was carnivalesque. It was wonderful. And they've been really hamming it up on Twitter. It's been almost like a sort of pre-boxing Oh, i missed all that gone straight over my head. But it, it's very it. interesting. And there's been some things... Uh, I remember when... Um, was it Maurice Green and... No, it was Jonathan Bailey and John and um, Michael Johnson yes. did an indoor 150 or 150. something, and they both pulled up injured. Yeah. <laughs> but people always say you get the people who don't know much about the sport go, "Oh, let's have Usain Bolt versus Mo Farah." That's not going to work. No. But there are so many different combinations, and I was thinking on the train, and you know what I would love to see? 
a women's four by one quartet against a men's two by two. I was thinking about which oh. times would be comparable. <laughs> That's sick. I've got to go my head around that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so if the women could run like 41 or 42, men would win, I think. They would, but I think you could then get really clever about it and scientific. And when we had the amazing walk versus run with Tom Yeah, Oswald, that was fun. It was really well, it fun. It was a bit silly, but it worked. And I've... But a kilometre versus 1,400 metres, someone really sat down and calculated yeah, they did, didn't that. They? And it paid off because it was great. I was yeah. on the edge of my seat. And I was thinking on the train, you know, we could do a Rhodesia versus Karani 500 metres. We could have Van Niekerk against Amos over 500 metres. They would be fascinating, but I think really mixing up the disciplines. You know, we could have Carson Warholm um, over the hurdles against, against a woman. Miller. Yeah, <laughs> she would have to go over like 380 yeah. or 370 metres. But if someone sat and did the maths, that would be absolutely glorious. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of these kind of gimmicky things because I, I don't think they're necessary because I love the sport so much. But like I'm reminded all the time, it's not about me. Like, there's, we're trying to get other people into the sport. So, anything, especially, like, at the end of the season, for a bit of fun, I'm all up for all this kind of stuff. Um, but, and like you said, at the City Games, they've done some really good ones, like some, the 500 distance, 800 metre runners against 400 really metre runners. Fun. And you, they don't know how to run it either. 200, mm. we've had 200 hurdles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm up for that. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but you've come up with a couple of good ones. Yeah, or maybe let's get... Um, three male jumpers long triple and high and three female and they each get three attempts and then you take your total highest efforts add them up into one enormous distance <laughs> chuck a pole sorry I can't believe as a former pole vaulter I forgot pole vaulters did you used to do pole vault? I used to be a, I mean I wasn't very good I had pole vault for my club my best was 2 metres 50 that's <laughs> my best is higher than yours <laughs> Only in training. I, so my club roped me in. It's completely standard, yeah. like Southern Athletics League. Yeah. We really need a second pole vaulter. So I do the steeplechase, the pole vault, <laughs> and the four by four. The officials used to always go, why are you back again for such a weird, unrelated event? <laughs> for a point, that's why. Yeah, exactly. It's all about getting that last place finish in the B-string <laughs> exactly. event. Exactly. But yeah, I think some showdowns would be really fun yeah. and get new people in through the door. And it's all about footfall while we're at this kind of weird interim. Everyone is panicking about athletics stage. Let's just all calm down. Maybe let's have some gimmicks or maybe let's keep it pure. But whatever it is, let's have an open but mind. But once again, I think it is in the marketing because you look at some of the extreme sports that everyone's worried about. They're, they're saying they're going to enter all kinds of ridiculous sports into the Olympics and the Winter Olympics. And everyone's like, oh, extreme sports are getting all the attention. None of those extreme sports are half as extreme as the pole vault. Yeah, but the completely. way that the pole vault's marketed is quite boring. It's not. It should be like, like it's really extreme, scary, dangerous thing yeah. to do. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Um, I remember one pole vault whose names escaped me. He was American. He used to wear a helmet because someone no. had had an accident when he was younger. And it, so he used to always. Someone will remind me of his name, mm. American pole vault. And I'm not suggesting everyone should wear a helmet, but just from a from a viewer's point of view it, it adds a sense of danger yes, it, does. it makes it sound more dangerous than <laughs> it is it them all yeah. up <laughs> that would be great but yeah things like pole vault they had that in the amazing train station in Berlin a couple yes. of weeks ago and it was just stunning some of the photographs coming from that were wonderful of Sandy and Cat and everyone so there's so much scope for kind of sexying it all up hi this is Sandy Morris and you're listening to the Backstraight Boys Paul Hunt uh, who is PA Hunt 1978 on Twitter asked us which world records we thought would be broken between now and the end of the 2018 season oh so next year so this year well have we had any world records this year apart from the women's 50 kilometer walk well, there you go <laughs> the women's 50 kilometer walk next year again yes definitely <laughs> um, I don't you know I don't think we've had any others we've had some I'm probably forgetting something really obvious yeah something massive <laughs> so we did have in a way we had the sub two hour 
marathon attempt. Yeah. And that didn't count because it wasn't a ratified course because it was a lapse of an F1 circuit. But I think um, Kimeto's Berlin 2014 mark, it's 2.02.57. Yeah. That's not going to last very long. No, and it could go in the next month. Yeah, we've got such high calibre marathon. When's Berlin? Is it no, it's November, October, mm. November? It's like an, I thought Berlin was earlier. I thought Berlin was... Is it that soon? Yeah, September? I think New York's in November. I don't know, I'm making that up. But it's in the next month or the next few weeks. And it could well I go. I Berlin is the best place. It's We've quick. got um, um, Kenny, Kenny, Kenny Bukele's just been added to the field as well. Yes, it's going to be absolutely yeah. stacked. We have got, hopefully, Charlotte Perdue coming on the pod as well over the next few weeks, so we'll get her insight into marathon. I also thought I would back Kevin Mayer to take on the... Oh, record really? I really would. That's a tough one. There was, I know it is because <laughs> Ashton is, you know, he's a, a deity in the world of athletics, particularly in multi eventing. But there was a point, I think I saw Statman John or someone yeah. incredibly clued up on Twitter saying that there was a point during that decathlon when if Mayer had produced equal personal bests in his remaining events, the world record would have gone. Yeah. He's, this has kind of been his first season, second yeah. season, announcing himself on the decathlon scene. He, I think he can do it. I think, watch that young man. I think the thing is with the decathlon, it's, it's all very well saying you've just got to equal your personal best but mm. that's a tough thing to do as we it know is. because some of those personal bests weren't done in in, um, in the middle of a decathlon of course um, and all that but he's he, you're right he's just come onto the scene in a big big way I mean we obviously we've noticed him for a few years <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's hard, it's hard not to when you've got his calendar in your kitchen, so yes. But yeah, and he's growing, and he's he seems obviously like a championship performer as well. Mm. So yeah, I mean, that's not out of the realms of possibility. The final one I'm going to throw into the mix, Carlos Semenya ran that world best mm-hmm. of 121.77 yeah. in Berlin. I did the maths, I'm not very good at maths, but to me that's a 148, yeah. 800m. So let's allow for the fact that she cannot sustain that pace, but yeah. when is she going to break that world record? I'm kind of I'm torn with this one okay because on the one hand I'm sick and tired of people banging on about her not trying since she came around in 2009 that's her style of running she's never once been someone who goes out hard she's never been once who looks like they're trying even when she's Right, even in the fifteen hundred meters, um, when yeah. she was really fighting for the line, she doesn't look like she, her face doesn't change. She's got a very fluid, very um, effortless running style. That's just how she runs. When Alison Felix does it, we all say, "Oh my God, you run amazing! You never show any effort." We love it from Alison Felix. From Casta Semenya, we hold her to a different standard. We mm. want to see her toughing it out. So that's my. But on the other hand. <laughs> I think she can blatantly run a lot faster. Yes. Um, and I understand maybe why she doesn't want to. I think that with her breaking world records by Jamila Kratochvilova, that's the longest world record on the books, there will be a lot of flack that comes with that. She's very happy to win every meeting, to win every championship, with without getting even more criticism. So I don't know. I, I, I can understand it from both sides, but you, I would like to see her go out once. I think we're going to direct this next question to Weatherspoons and uh, the other furlong who's not here today so Tommy Davies 99 on Twitter said do you agree that Sebco isn't up to the task if you could pick anyone to be IAAF president who would you pick I'd pick Michael Johnson would you oh he said that oh not me oh, no. <laughs> no, my God, definitely not. he said thoughts let's see what Bayo has to say so, do I hope think should be in charge? I think Sebko should be in charge. I think he's eminently up to the job. Um, he's 
clearly a career politician, you know, but that isn't a bad thing. It's a good about time someone who actually understands how to get stuff done is, is in charge. He loves the sport. He's definitely passionate about it. He's got lots of new ideas and he's not afraid to um, implement them. He's Basically, the problem is he's got an absolutely shitty job. You know, he was handed over in a situation where the IWF is in a total chaos um, and I think he's doing the best he can. We've got to wait and see. We can't give it a year and then start complaining that he's not doing the right thing. We have to wait and see. It's not a simple solution. It's not something that can be turned around in a year. Um, so far, I've been super impressed with him. Um, plus, he's always really nice when I, when, he, when I see him. He always says hello, so maybe I'm just biased. <laughs> now, after you, you don't even have enough from the furlongs. Oh, no, never. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never could, never will. So, Bayo there saying that it's a bit of a poison chalice. It's, I, think, I, I think I agree with that. Um, he had to, to get to be president of the IWF or anything, you have to make compromises along the way. So people, a lot of people are like, he didn't stand up when he needed to, he didn't do this, his assistant was corrupt, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, absolutely. And now he's president, and now he can do something about it. And if he stood up and said something three, four, five years ago, he wouldn't now be president. Mm-hmm. And we'd, be, we'd have another corrupt career like person in charge. So I'm very happy he's in charge. Um, I am very willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for the moment. And so far, the stuff with Russia, I think, is very positive. The banning of the transfers has been very positive. I think he said a lot of the right things, but he can't click his fingers and change things overnight. And he needs to bring 205 delegations with him as well. So it's a, it's a, we're in it for the long run. And fingers crossed he's the man for the job. Completely agree. And I think that inactivity and stagnancy has been a major issue with athletics over the last decade, which is why we feel like we're at such a crossroads now with the retirement of several major figureheads within the sport. And I think so because of that, yeah, as you said, we need to let Co make changes and trust him as someone who loves the sport. He doesn't want to see it decline. No. He and he is a lover of the sport. He's not, I mean, he's in it, he, obviously, he is a careerist. He was a politician beforehand. He ran the Olympics. Great. He's got great experience. But he does genuinely love the sport. Exactly. Genuinely love the sport. He's not just in it for the money and the prestige. That comes along with it. But he <laughs> definitely is a definite lover of the sport and always has been. So that's a definite, definite bonus. Speaking of difficult jobs, IWF president, really hard. I would say at the moment, being a sprinter in Britain is a massive ask, seeing how talented all of our young guns are and how, how brilliant some of the role models they have yeah. in the upper echelons of British sprinting. Are too. I'd love to look up to Ailey Doyle and Martin Rooney as a young sprinter and see them. You have been chatting to someone who's had a tricky time cracking the world of British sprinting because of the strength and depth of talent, but nonetheless is a terrific talent herself. I did. Um, I've had a lovely chat with Ashley Nelson, and I said to her that she is quite mysterious. She's almost the forgotten lady of British sprinting. We waited so long to get some world-class sprinters, and now we're inundated with world-class sprinters. And unfortunately, Ashley has had some ups and downs over the last few years. And I just had a chat with her about her career, starting off as an amazing junior, and the trouble she's had over the last few years trying to stay fit. So here we go. There's a lovely little chat with Ashley. The reason we wanted to talk to you, because as I said to you when I was prepping for um, having a chat, Every season we you, we get all excited at the beginning of the season because we think you're going to run amazing and then you get injured and we're like, oh, what's happened? And you disappear and we, you're very mysterious. So I wanted to get to the bottom of what's been going on with you. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, can I just say I love being called mysterious because I'm like really not mysterious at all in my eyes. Um, well, to the fans you are, <laughs> because we obsess specifically about, I think, British female sprinters, because for so long we didn't have any female sprinters. Between Cathy Cook and, um, like, Abby and Jeanette, 
we had nobody really. Um, good national level sprinters, but not on the world level. Obviously, we've, great, we've always had great juniors, but that transition to the senior um, thing has been really difficult for people. Um, and then around 2014, everything came together, and there were so many great sprinters, and we all got very excited. Um, but actually, just going back a little bit, because you actually were an amazing junior. Um, bronze at the World Youth um, behind Asha, and um, yeah. also silver at the World Juniors. So when yeah. you were six, and then you went to the Olympics when you were 17. Yeah, it's true. So it's, what is it like when you're, when you're that young and you're having that much success? And do you look to the future and think, I'm going to be Olympic champion one day? I think at that age, I was just so excited to run. And all I ever did was run. I didn't think, I didn't have a process. I kind of went and warmed up kind of half-heartedly. And it was just fun. Like at that age, all I wanted to do was kind of go to the track, have a laugh and just race and it, literally that, that's all it ever used to be and I also think I did take a lot of things for granted yeah. in terms of I was like so I went to the Olympics in Beijing so I was 17 and then I was like right so I'm going to go to the Olympics I unfortunately didn't get to run because I was so young um, I think the I was set to go for the relay and the relay coaches at the time just did a little bit um, wor- not maybe worried isn't the right word Maybe they were just a bit anxious or a bit conservative about letting me run and things. And obviously the, the other girls, Jeanette, um, Laura Turner, Emma Anya, Montal, Annika, they were all they were all running well at the time. So yeah, I was just if we remember, that. they dropped the baton. So maybe you should have been so, in the team. Se- yeah, second, third. The Jamaicans, actually. The Jamaicans ran in their lane and everything just kind of went up in the air because obviously a lane is made for one person two people at the, at the most mm-hmm. not made for four people and, and everything just kind of went up in the air but um, yeah I kind of took for granted that I thought right so Beijing then London and then Rio and I just thought everything would go smoothly and unfortunately I should mention that it hasn't my transition from junior to senior hasn't been as seamless as I would have liked but I think that's a, for, for lots of athletes it's that very difficult thing where you do win lots of things as a junior and you move into the senior ranks and for a few years you have to get used to it you do have to get used to losing and not being the best um, and I think there's extra pressure to come with that so very few people do make that transition I was looking at when you were at the World Youth and I think Delilah Mohammed won Christian Taylor won um, Daria Klashina yeah. won David Stahl won um, Chris, um, Chris um, Clark beat um, Karani James at that one. So yeah. there were some big, big names who are very famous now, but there's also people we've never heard of ever since. So it is a really tough transition. It looks, looking at your results on Power of 10, it looks like you were injured in 2009 and 10. There's not a lot of results for you in those couple of years. So did that play a part as well? Yes. So 2009, I went out to school for the European team mm-hmm. um, in the was it in the era? era yeah uh, yeah, yeah. I think um, there. <laughs> and I was supposed to run the hundred there and tore my quad ah. uh, following year world juniors in Canada um, was out in um, was out in what's called Mannheim mm-hmm. part of the relay um, pulled my hamstring uh, on the last leg, um, so that wasn't great. 2000, I'm trying to think, 2011, I actually had, had um, a high hamstring kind of tendinopathy, which 
lasted the whole season and even into 20. So in 2011, I didn't. That got diagnosed at the end of the season, and from 2011 October until 2012 March, I actually didn't step foot on the track. Wow. All my all my um, training sessions were actually done in the gym or swimming. Oh, wow. And if you remember, 2012, I actually came out and won the trials, right. albeit it wasn't the fast time, but I was still able to win the trials off of three three months training. Yeah. And then the kind of, although I won the trials that year, it wasn't fast enough to make the Olympic yeah. team. And of course, and Charles then, was the coach, so he was being very specific about who he wanted to take. Exactly. <laughs> and then we went to Finland for the European and the Europeans, and we actually qualified as the relay team, but then as we were getting interviewed, we found out that we got disqualified. It was that weird track, wasn't it, that was kind of square? But I do remember, I don't know if it's true or not, but Charles saying something about he didn't care about the relay or like he couldn't be bothered with the relay or something. And um, There's an article that said something along those lines, yeah. that It was just, it was an accident waiting to happen, apparently, which when you're... You know, your your PD says that, the guy who's in charge says that, he's quite confident. And the thing is with relays, and I've been banging on about this forever, is it's not about individual, of course you need people who are fast, but it's not about individual times, it's about how you can get the relay pattern around. So you need to have someone who's prepared to invest in your coaching, in getting you together as a team, in practice. Um, and if your head coach can't do that, you can't do it individually when you live all over the country, so... Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what's happened of late. And a lot's been invested into the relay programs. And although you might be saying, oh, it's a lot of money to to, to be invested in a, in a relay and not have people perform in the individual events. At the end of the day, until until the relays of the World Championships, we weren't on, on the, the, the medal count at all. We were yeah, off. Yeah. And then <laughs> the relays came in and we, you know, we, we followed the we followed through, the guy followed through, so that exactly. was... Exactly. So in 2013, we did get the act together with the relay and got a yep. bronze medal at the World Championships, which was, yep. I mean, very, very... And you ran the second leg there, did you, in 2013? Yes, I did. I was originally supposed to run leg four, but unfortunately, Annika and Aura got injured yeah. and doing the 200 metres, so two days before... <laughs> The order was actually swapped around, and I was put on the second leg because I was one of the um, people who had experience on that leg. Uh, so I was like, "Oh, okay. So this is <laughs> this escalated pretty, pretty quickly." Well, I, you know, I kind of took it on, and all the girls were like, "Right, we've got to change," and we just got on with it, and, it, and we pulled it off. And as I remember, you absolutely killed that that, that second leg, as you did in 2014. Now, 2014 was a breakout year for you, when I presumably you hadn't been injured that winter, or maybe, I don't know, because you came out flying. I was injured. <laughs> I was injured. So basically, I, um, the Commonwealth Games was in Scotland, it was up in Glasgow, yep. and I turned down the individual you did, in Glasgow. did, of course, yes. Um, because I was carrying a niggle, same quad. Um, every type of tape you can think of, I was stuck together with, and it managed to pull me through. And so, yeah, so I turned down the individual in, in Glasgow, but was part of the relay team, which I really wanted to be part of. And then I went on to um, win a bronze medal at the, the Europeans, which was the first time in 40 years that a British female had done that. So that was that was a very emotional and triumphant yeah. year for me because nobody, because like we, we've mentioned, I don't really talk about my injuries and 
I think I'm, I'm at a place now where I'm more open to talk about it um, with people because I, deserve, I think they deserve to, to know a little bit, especially being funded. And because I've done athletics since the age of what, seven, eight, I almost didn't realise the magnitude of the fans and the supporters and just how much they invest <laughs> in us, if that makes sense. Listen, maybe I was a bit naive. Or, you don't need to tell me about it. I just feel, <laughs> yeah, I feel like they, they deserve to know. You know, there's some people that buy lottery tickets religiously just to support us guys and you know they want to know like you said they want to know what is actually going on with with their athletes and and sometimes it's because you know they just kind of a bit nosy but actually I think genuinely people care like people actually care about they're British athletes, Absolutely. and I think that's amazing. And I can, I mean, obviously, you know, um, myself and my brother are obsessive athletic yeah. fans, and we know lots of others. <laughs> and especially since the advent of social media, before that it was all forums. The IWF used to have a forum, Athletics Weekly, Track and Field News Forums. So a lot of the people I know um, from athletics are people I met on in forums, like 15 yeah. years ago. And obviously now with Twitter, we're even, we communicate even more. But we've all got a lot yeah. of private chats going on in Twitter where we talk about everybody and there is the, the, the lack the amount of knowledge that comes from the fans um, going back for years. We remember who won what and as a junior and who did this and when they were injured and everything. Yeah. So it's it's really nice for you to do something like this to explain a, a little bit to us what's been going on with you. Um, since 2014, there's it's like every summer there's been a, like a full start, not literally a full start, but like in May you'll come out, you're fit, you're healthy. We're like, yeah, Ashley's going to run really well. And then, I don't know, you disappear and we don't know what's going on. I don't, presumably you've been injured every year since then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> without going into too much detail, over the last three years I've had three surgeries, wow. which people don't know about. And yeah. um, I don't really want to go into that too much no, because I, I feel like I'm over, I'm, and one of them being this year, yeah. I feel like I'm kind of at the other side now. Good. Um, but yeah, it's been the same thing. It's been my quad. Right. Literally. The only thing that touch wood I've heard over the last three, four years is this quad. And basically last year leading up to Rio, um, I ran at the Birmingham Diamond League. I ran 11-3 to a minus three. I remember. And was, was up with Daphne and you know, yeah. you know how it went down. Just literally, literally just finished before me and I'd like to think she was trying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was obviously it was a heat, and I think the following heat was which had the other girl like Dina and um, Desiree, and then they ran eleven, I think eleven oh three, eleven oh four, something like that, because the wind had changed. Yeah. So that was quite that was a quite positive. Some people were like, "Oh, you're so unlucky," but for me, it was like, "Right, okay, yeah. let's let's go and do it." Like I can, I know what I can do. It gives you a measurement of where you are. Unfortunately, the following week in training. I um, injured my um, rectum tendon. I uh, saw saw the doctors and um, and things. Saw a surgeon, and he said, "Right, he said, if you want to get back to the Olympic Games, you need to start praying now." <laughs> so the prayers came. <laughs> I managed to get myself back in a position where they selected me for the relay. I went out to Rio. I'd run really well. Um, they practiced me on on several legs and were really really happy with my um, yeah, progress and they're like right well you know let's see what happens with with the ladies and their individual events and you know it goes they select the teams based on a number of things not just speed but handovers experience 
and and who they think the best the best people for the job are. And I like to believe that I was up for selection, but unfortunately, two days before the actual race, the, literally the day before they were picking the team, my rec um, it was it kind of went again when I was out in Rio. So I I actually took myself out of the selection. Um, there's people not necessarily in this team, not necessarily in this group of girls that are there now, but I know in the past there would have been people that wouldn't have said anything yeah. and they would have just taken their chances, but that's not the person I am. Maybe people will think, oh, well, you're silly not for, for not trying, but in my mind it was a 50-50 chance mm-hmm. and that's not the chance that I was going to take because if if, all, if I'd got on that start line, if I'd got, I got on whatever leg it was and, and got, 50 metres down the track and pulled off. I, I just wanted to give myself, so that I didn't want that. I didn't want that responsibility. So unfortunately, I, I had to withdraw myself. And um, looking back in hindsight, at the end of the season, um, I probably should have had the surgery that I had right. July this year. I probably should have had it then, but I was advised um, by the powers that be not to. Um, and I think as an athlete, you do rely on the people around you to make those decisions for you because I'm not a doctor. No. I mean, I've got a lot of experience um, it, with my body, but in the, when it comes to things like that, I, I have to rely on the other people around me. And I think I, I think we've all now realised that it's a surgery that I should have had as soon as I've, as soon as I've landed from Rio. I should have gone and and got it sorted. But unfortunately, that that wasn't the case. And fast forward. 12 months later, I've, I've finally had the surgery. So the the, the doctors and the surgeon think thinks that this now should be the end of my injury problem in, regarding the, that area because yeah. that's the only injury that I've had for the last three, four years. Surgery's gone really well and I'm back. And I'm and tomorrow I will be seven weeks post-surgery. I'm back in rehabbing. I've been back three weeks now yeah. um, and everything's going really well. And we're hoping that I'll be running um, where are we? September, within the next two months, two and two and a half, three months, and yeah, should, should be able to get a really winter and come out next year firing. And, and I'm looking forward to putting all the the injuries behind me. Fingers crossed that they've actually sorted out the problem, and we'd love to see you back on the track. Obviously, you've been around for a long, long time now, but you're only 26. Yeah. That's, I, I, I mean, because I, I, obviously I just I just looked up through your results and stuff to talk, and I was like, oh my god, she's so young. You're the same age as as Asha. You were you were contemporaries. Um, Asha's actually older than me. <laughs> but you look how she's come back from the injury. She had a like a dreadful injury and was out for four years, I think. And she's come back fully fit, European indoor champion. So I'm sure we're going to see the same from you. I mean, you've got another two or three Olympics in you. Ooh. <laughs> I want babies. Okay. Um, I don't know if you re- noticed. I think you might may have done, but I ran a couple of fours this year. Well, that was my next question. That was my next question. My what I was going to ask is what is what are your plans for next year? Because obviously there's the World Indoors in Birmingham. I don't know if that might be a bit early, and then the Commonwealth Games, which is not long after that, and there's the European Championships in Berlin. So there's a lot of things on next year. So what are you planning to run, and what events are you planning to compete in? Obviously, it all goes um, back to how I rehab and time frames and things like that. So, like you mentioned, the indoors might be a little bit too soon. I, I'm not quite sure. I'd have to find out 
but yeah, definitely, I have the have the hundred meter qualifying for the Commonwealth, but so do yeah. the other girls. So it depends on who who wants to do what and who they select. Um, I don't have it for the four hundred because I think it's fifty one six, which I'm not sure. Yeah, which I'm not sure who has that. There can't be many. Nobody from this year, I don't think. I think maybe. Emily Diamond, I think. Possibly, they weren't fast this year, the girls. I mean, they did great at the relay, but individually, people weren't fast. So So maybe, I don't know if there's a relay conversation, because, like, like also, I haven't been been part of the GB relay for a few years now, and I'd love to to get back involved in that, because, like you said, the the, the ladies are doing doing amazing, and I I want to be part of that, because although it's an individual sport, there is something quite... Special about find, like about finally getting the opportunity to be part of a team because you get to share it and yeah. that that is really exciting. Events. Um, I love the hundred meters. The hundred meters is my baby, as I as I'd like to say. But at the same time, I think the reason you, you always see me at the beginning of the season is because I can I can run eleven. I, I ran eleven three when I was sixteen seventeen. <laughs> And I feel like whenever I try to ramp it up, my body is almost saying, uh, no. Yes. <laughs> Not quite, but what I found with the 400 this year is the intensity is a lot lower, yes. but I do actually have the strength. I have to listen very carefully to my body because... Um, you said um, there's been conversations. Didn't know if it's a coach, not the coaching, but the, the training that I'm doing yeah. and things. And one thing I do have to say is my coach, Michael Flarker, has actually been like I don't want to say a godsend, <laughs> but he's been amazing. Like he's listened to the physios, he's listened to the doctors, he's listened to me, my body. And when I've said actually maybe come and try this or maybe come and try that, he's he's been brilliant. And I know he has a reputation of oh, don't go to Michael, he works you too hard or you'll get injured and things like that. And I don't think that's fair. And I think if people are basing that off me, then please don't base it off me because I'm a bit of a freak of nature. <laughs> and one thing me and Michael have spoken about is maybe, you know, going up to the four. Yeah. And because if that's going to give, if that's going to give my body the break that it needs, then I'm not scared of a bit of hard work. Yeah. Who knows? I, I have the, I think I have the ability to run the one, two, and the four, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's really exciting actually. Because it's, it's just opened doors, like it's opened doors to me, which yeah. I didn't—I never thought I could be a 400 meter runner. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a sec, I've done no training for this 400 meter lap, and I run a 52 a yeah. at a track in the middle of Wolverhampton, and the next person ran 66 seconds or something like that. <laughs> so I basically, just did a time trial on my own. So whatever you choose to do next year, and what events you're at, we'll be at all the events, obviously. So um, yeah. we'll be there. We'll be cheering you on. Thank you so much for coming on the Backstroke Boys today and having a chat, clearing up a few of those things so we don't have to um, pontificate in secret chat rooms anymore. You've you laid it all out and what's <laughs> going on. And you're no longer mysterious or your cards are on the table. So thank you so much. I wish you all the best for the winter's training and for next year, and we really hope to see you in PB shape. Thank you so much. I appreciate it so much and all your support and all, all the signs and stuff like that. I appreciate it and the support because I know it must be hard when you have, have an athlete who's here today, gone tomorrow kind of thing. But the constant support is just fantastic. So thank you so much, everybody. Awesome.
fascinating chat. She's so lovely. She just comes across as an absolute ray of sunshine. And as what really struck me there is the fact that there is so much more to come yeah. from Ashley. And like we definitely haven't seen the last of her. We cannot write her off because there have been injuries and because there have perhaps been others enjoying the limelight over the last few seasons. So I'm keeping everything crossed that we see more of her. Yeah, and it also... Just that little explanation of what has been going on with her stops all the speculation. <laughs> so yeah, it it's does. really nice to hear. So fingers crossed, Ashley. Thanks very much for chatting to us and good luck for next season. We launched a competition for the first time last <laughs> week, which is hugely exciting. It makes us feel far more professional than we are. <laughs> but my family are getting at me for the enormous pile of World Championship stash that's littering our landing. So why don't we palm some of it off on some <laughs> lovely review writers? We've had some really nice ones. Go on, Claire. What have people been saying about us? Okay, right. So blowing our own trumpet slightly but I'm just going to read out two of my favourites that have come through in the last week so Billy Mum left us an excellent five star review saying I love athletics but despair of how the sport is going how it is run and broadcast but these guys and girl are a breath of fresh air and not only are knowledgeable but are funny and don't hold back in criticisms a must for all fans of athletics oh Billy Mum thank you very much we're blushing who else what else do people have to say Miles T Base <laughs> only 12 hours ago so this is a recent one a last minute competition entry said fantastic athletics podcast love listening to this they really know their stuff and have lots of great thoughts and opinions to share great humour throughout but not afraid to discuss the serious issues too overall this makes a refreshing change from the mainstream media which has tended to sensationalise Claire has been a great addition to the team oh, absolutely sharks. I couldn't agree more sharp it and has fitted in really well and keeps the conversation focused so thanks very much for your kind words that's so nice of people to go out of their way to rate and review us um, it really does help us to get um, more listeners and just to get the message out there about the Backstreet Boys so I can't choose between those I think they should both get some swag two winners in the first week <laughs> everyone's a winner So keep the reviews and ratings coming. um, We'll do this until Claire's Landing is free from World Championship (laughs) swag. So um, we will be in touch to get an address to post stuff off to you. So thank you very much. I'm a player, a a roulette on casino. And I'm all gambling on the red today. And it's fucking red, man. It is. It is seven red. I know exactly the number. That's my lucky day. I've mentioned this on previous pods, but do you remember when I was... I watched, what did I watch? I watched Laura Muir in the 1500 meter oh, yeah. final, screamed myself hoarse. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, gosh, I've really lost my voice off the back of this. I hope I don't bump into anyone I have to speak to. <laughs> Turned around and Nuke Vetter was stood there and I thought, I cannot pass up the chance so to get So what did you do, Claire? Pod. Well, I thrust my phone beneath her nose and I asked her all about her wonderful javelin throw, which won her, arguably won her the bronze in that really wonderful women's heptathlon competition we had. What's reception been like back at home? Oh, I'm, I don't know. We will see if I'm back home. Uh, I had a lot of reaction from Holland. Uh, also, during the episode long, uh, I, I read all the, yeah, not all the messages, but a lot of messages. And yeah, uh, athletics is really alive now in Holland. I bet. Has it sunk in yet, quite what you achieved yesterday? Um, not really. Uh, I had a, a crazy night. I didn't sleep at all. Uh, I had, of course, doping control, media stuff, and today also full of media stuff. Um, but slowly it comes. Um, I want to watch it tonight, the competition, to just relax, to enjoy, and to, yeah. And when you saw that javelin throw pop up, when you saw that score appear, did you believe it? Did you realise what you'd achieved? Um, not really. I was really 
pleased with the 55 in the first row, but I, I knew it could be further. Um, so I was really, yeah, I gave it all my all and it went 58 meters. It was crazy, but I didn't know that I was on third place. I'm going for the bronze medal and I, was, I didn't know. I did a power nap and I also like, oh, it's okay. What are the standings? And then I hear it and then I get really nervous. So as a heptathlete, are you constantly doing the maths in your head? Are you trying to figure it out or do you just focus on performing? Um, I, I, I just focus on my performance and just think about my competition, how I stand, um, like comparing to my PB and my season best. And after the Jeffrey, you get, yeah, you can look what standings are in the field, but till then I don't. And how are you celebrating? Are you going to, you definitely deserve some downtime now. What do the next couple of days hold for you? Uh, I will cheering my my teammates. I will I will go to London and visit the city. And uh, uh, my roomie has to start on Friday to the hundred meter hurdle, so I don't party that till then. Uh, so we'll see this weekend. Well, I hope you enjoy celebrating and congratulations on a wonderful run. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Jenny Simpson, and back straight, back, all right. <laughs> is that all right? I love how you just jump in there, Claire. Any opportunity, you're a proper journalist. Well, you can't not, can you? <laughs> and something we always say that's so great about athletics is the athletes are just in the mix with us. They're there watching because they love the sport, they want to support their athletes. As Anouk just said, she stuck around in London to support the other athletes from the Netherlands and... When I was at the stadium, Bayo and I were at the bar, as always, and we <laughs> sat down and next to us was um, Daphne Schiffers having a burger. No, <laughs> she, she does not eat burgers. She did. She's she? allowed a burger at the end of the World Championships. Completely so she was having a burger and then we bumped into Ruth Bader as well. Um, just wandering about, you just bump into all kinds, so it's, it's really awesome to be there. Yeah, it's one of the best bits about it, it's just seeing them around the place and they're always so willing to chat to you. So thank you, Anouk, for having a word with me. So that's it for another edition of the Backstreet Boys. Thank you very much for tuning in. It was a bit of a mishmash this week, wasn't it? Yeah, a little bit of a kaleidoscope. But I think <laughs> that's in... a nice word. Why, thank you. <laughs> so next time, hopefully Matt and Bayer will be back in the studio. We might have the full gang uh, of the Backstreet Boys. And we'll be coming to you in two weeks' time. Two weeks' time. Don't know what we're going to talk about yet. We'll make it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could leave it on that. I like that. <laughs>